It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. Uh, in today's podcast, we have a very special guest. Um, I have the host of uh, the Cricket Savant Cricket Blog, Adnan. Hello, Adnan. Welcome to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, we've been trying to make it work for a while due to one reason or the other. <laughs> it uh, kept going this way and that. But finally, I'm very glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Time management was crucial about it. Being in yeah. different regions, that was the only problem. No, it's okay, Adnan. See, <laughs> I think at least with the modern day uh, internet uh, pervasiveness, we shouldn't worry so much about it. Well, finally, you're here. I'm very happy. So now... You have been following the Cricket World Cup, right? And I've uh-huh. seen you've been uh, writing extensively about it as well on your blog. So first of all, what brought you to write a blog on cricket? Because you are more like analytically driven, right? So what yeah. did, how did this come about? How did this analytical perspective of writing so deeply into cricket come about? I began watching the game and I always thought of the game in a different way compared to the casual cricket fan, not to insult the casual cricket fan, but I always thought that, you know, how when I watch a game, I could see how players could do better in some parts and potentially how they could target somebody somewhere. There's a technical weakness. It just happened naturally and I decided, well, I do love the sport and I'm really into it. Why not give it a fair go? Hmm. 
No, because you actually even give potential code snippets on how you create it using certain, you know, learning packages, AI-based learning packages and so on. So clearly you have gone deeper into it in as much that you use programming models and other things. So that's that's a rare thing for me because there are not a lot of people like this. There are people from Quickinfo and some other sites where they also use predictive algorithms and stuff. But for me, as somebody who probably also does a little bit of programming for a living, this is very nice to see. So there... I'm I'm very curious that how you are able to probably bring in your background of something that you do into cricket and you know make it such a useful one even if you are a nerd if you are a geek if you are a cricket fan you get to learn something from your blog but also if you are a nerd it's very interesting to see snippets of code this is a rare combination for me so that's why I'm asking um if it's just about you know measuring things in cricket cricket has 140 years of history so do you have any ideas on how you can leverage this nothing in particular it just began as a passion for sport and i still study journalism mm. in university ah. so i've always wanted to somehow go into cricket and i found out the fact that cricket analytics is a considerably major field especially with the advent of t20 and modern clips and recordings with everything available on youtube especially the county championship and that's about it i decided to learn a few languages by a few i mean i just decided to get myself into python a bit because it's good for data science and that's how i slowly try and expand into cricket analytics as a whole very interesting so i mean very interesting to see uh, somebody with a non let's say non programmatical background actually chose to go a little bit deeper into the subject learn more about it and then you know actually use it in their work this is very encouraging so you know it's also some, probably a stepping stone for you yourself what you said is perfectly right these days with the advent of t20s right there's a lot like uh, there are people who probably do analysis of cricket videos also analysis of stats and other things for a living right so maybe you want to get into one of these things later on in your career yeah absolutely that's the ultimate goal a cricket analyst at any particular cricket team i love the sport so it's not a i want to go into this particular team I'll, i'd love to work with any cricket team anywhere in the world that's very interesting all right we wish you all the best in that particular uh, endeavor of yours nonetheless um coming back to the games at hand so there've been the world cup has just come and gone so now it's air quotes relatively quiet in the cricketing world right when is it ever quiet but okay as quiet as can be did you follow the first t20i between india and australia i did watch the first t20i between them and it was quite interesting to see how the change of pitches actually enabled surya kumar yadav and josh english to play the way they did so that's the first point i actually wanted to also address is it just a change of you know change of pitch up maybe it's just the freedom they get with t20i when it's the same surya kumar yadav who was struggling so much until recently right so how did that come about i mean from a cricketer's perspective in the world cup final he was not in a comparable situation but he could have played a comparable innings in as much that given 30 40 balls when he's capable of hitting 80 runs you would think against the same opposition how did that not materialize is it just a mindset thing for you I think there's a lot to do with the mindset because at a stage in T20s you know attack is the best way to get out of any situation but in ODIs you do have to defend for a period of time and pitch certainly played a part but the mindset for Josh English for Surya Kumar Yadav was 
it was on show especially with english who looked to take on the bowlers from ball one mm so if you were to look at the two defining innings of this game first one is josh english's 100 of just 50 balls so 110 he makes and he completely dominates um two partnerships towards the end right first i mean smith and him build a solid platform they take australia to about 161 so there already he's dominating that partnership but then with somebody like stoinis and tim david as well i mean it stoinis is a mere spectator i think towards the end because first english hits then tim david hits so very interesting if you were to look at it that way but what did you make of smith's innings i'd say smith's innings was him trying to prove himself in t20s but the way the games evolved especially over the last 3 or 4 years t20 as a whole was played in a similar manner until so i suppose the covid pandemic mm. ever since the covid pandemic ever since the covid pandemic there's been a intent to be more aggressive than ever before and smith just doesn't fit in there well at least when you look at this score i mean 52 of 41 is an ideal sort of a score right if you're looking for a an anchor like opener scoring at a strike rate of about 125 i mean i can give you names example kohli kane williamson who do yeah, not a whole lot bigger or better than this so the way i look at it is it's a test match player and the best or the best he can do without giving away his wicket because as a test match player you're grew towards completely you know first thing is not to give your wicket away that's the whole point in t20 is exactly the opposite where your wicket is not that big a deal because there are 10 wickets or 20 um, overs so you can spread it better in this case for a player of that caliber to raise himself up even to a strike rate of 125 while still keeping all of his you know his thought process is intact i think that's the best they can do but do you see it differently i think smith would be disappointed considering his exploits in the last bbl where he did hit 200s and almost topped the six scoring charts in across four games uh-huh. just in four games <laughs> i think he wanted to i think the reason he's playing this i mean if i was the selectors i'd list smith go back home and warm up with the sheffield shield game but I think Smith wants to play T20s in a hope to establish himself as the opener with Aaron Finch now gone. Precisely. I think you have hit the nail on the head. He's asked to sort of take over that role and well he's Smith. So if he wants something you'll give him the chance unless he can't prove himself, right? With this sort of a score he's put himself uh, in the position where he will play at least a couple more games. So coming back to the other major innings, Josh English. So In this case this guy was also a part of the Australia World Cup winning squad of course and he's one of the few people that they have retained because they have replaced most of the squad except Sean Abbott him and um Steven Smith the rest of the squad has been completely replaced of course Stoinis will be there Stoinis is a T20 player so when you look at that again is that just a mindset change because we've seen English struggle a couple of times during world, the World Cup where at least he couldn't play such a liberating knock is it just the mindset then Yeah, I think it's just the mindset. Having watched Josh English over the past few years, whether it be in first-class cricket, list-day cricket, or T20 cricket, he's always done better mm. when he's come out. He's just looked to score quick runs. When he's had to build an innings, he's done a bit poorly. He's definitely a better run scorer than he is to dig in and bat well. Mm, correct. So he needs that freedom, I suppose, then. wouldn't be like ideal combination when you have uh, somebody like steven smith on the other end who's as solid as solid can be 
right and then this guy has yeah. the freedom to express himself like we saw it also in the world cup final where marnas labushkagne played a test match innings archetypical test match innings strike rate 52 and that gave freedom for head i mean i don't think head would have played any differently if it was somebody else on the other end but apparently when you are at the start of your international career like english is maybe having somebody like smith at the other end really matters yeah it absolutely does it takes off the pressure in a way that if i do get out there's someone at the other end who will do the job mm. there's that that pressure gets taken off english if it was someone else like a matthew short there's a chance that english just subconsciously he thinks this is he's not an established name he's not known to play anchor he's the both of them are known to be aggressive batters and that made that change english's approach in the game mm. at the halfway mark if you are the indian management what do you thought what do you think of the indian bowlers the replacement bowlers i would i'd be fine with the replacement bowlers in this game they just fail to execute we've seen how good ravi bishnoi can be it's just he had, he had an off day and it would be more about just filling them with confidence a bit further the only question marks i'd have are over ashdeep singh and his dead bowling especially over the last year or so it's been a bit off the mark right look we have had people like that and atrazan was there i think he also suffered injuries and he's now out of the reckoning a little bit are we also worried for arshdeep that this may happen to him because of over exposure to one sort of thought process like only t20 and only um, not actually expanding your uh, repertoire a little bit being able to also play in bigger uh, format simply because that will give you another way of thinking nothing else not that you'll need to play the longer formats but just to give you that other thought process Oh absolutely I mean playing in the longer formats lets you develop a skill that is to hit a consistent area which you which can become a bit predictable in a T20 but it's also necessary at points in a T20 because you have to keep hitting an area over and over again I mean looking back at Ashdeep he's played 12 first class games and I believe about four of them have come for come for Kent over the last year Mm. Now that is good playing in different conditions will definitely benefit this lad he's young yet he's still learning I mean what stood out for me if you just look at the analysis aksar patel and mukesh kumar were the most parsimonious prasid krishna went for a lot of runs there is something to be discussed there as well because he brings the pace uh, if you have pace but not a lot of control it's more like somebody like locky ferguson right because he's not even preferred at the death for new zealand because his pace can be you know misused so to say if you are new zealand so that's something prasid krishna has to also bring into his game but If you look at the two best performers, Aksar Patel steady, eight runs and over, but the best performer on the day was Mukesh Kumar. Is that a surprise for you? It, it certainly was a surprise. Looking at Mukesh, his pace and what he usually does in domestic cricket, I didn't quite expect him to be handed the responsibility either that, and I absolutely did not expect him to fulfill it so well with pinpoint yorkers. Right. I think he's um, also a very evolved uh, T20 bowler these days, Mukesh Kumar, because. Um, <clears throat> he's been growing as a cricketer and probably this is the case in point i wanted to make one is the age difference the experience difference between arshdeep and mukesh but also it's not about pace but it's about thinking mostly it's about out thinking the batsman at that point in time because you may have 10 10 tools in your armory which do you use is the question then based on that you take the next step right and that is just and in that point when you're about to bowl you've been hit for a six first ball of the over let's just say how do you react how do you come back from that right and with all the analysts with all the management help you get from the background you probably know exactly where to not bowl to the bowler uh, to this batsman right but then what do you use at that point is 
it's probably it's just the clarity that you get from a bit of experience that ashdeep is missing yeah absolutely i mean you were spot on with it the pace is not the only relevant thing i mean with that was apparent with prasid krishna going for 50 in his four overs and mukesh just went for 29 prasid was all over the place he was quick but he was all over the place instead mukesh brought in a bit of head he brought in head into the game he brought his head into the game he looked at what the batters were trying to do he knew marcus stoinis and tim david would try and hit off any length which is why he did go to his yorkers and that was a brilliant plan ashdeep on the other hand he wasn't quite looking to nail the yorkers when he was bowling to them that is why he went for runs and mukesh was hitting them perfectly the experience he has whether it be actual experience or just over the time of he, he's 30 So he's watched a lot as well, unlike Ashdeep, which leaves Mukesh a better level head to bowl at the dead. Now um, that's that's uh, that's the point that you know, the experience that one cricketer has and how he uses it is pretty clear. When it comes to the chase, well, Rudraj guy quite run out without facing a ball, very unfortunate. But uh, Yashasvi Jaiswal and Ishan Kishan build. Build a small platform, but then Yashasvi Jaiswal is dismissed. I mean, Yashasvi Jaiswal is playing like I don't know. He was as if he was playing a super over. Yeah, Jaiswal was trying to look, hit out every ball, and that's something maybe he has to temper. But he's fearless. That's brilliant in someone as young as him, and with the technique and the talent he has. All I'd ask him to do is just look at where he's gotten already in the over and just. play the mental aspect of the game a bit better because he's got all the talent in the world and he's got everything to replace someone like Rohit Sharma up top in the coming years mm. well it looks like once Rohit Sharma hangs up his boards it will probably be these uh, these two you know Jaiswal and Gill will probably take forward the indian opening mantle and well he's already played tests so he has the technique and the temperament for that we see it very clearly right so it's it's very encouraging if you are looking looking at it that way that uh, he can do it so but then ishan kishan and him built the platform but then they had to wait so once um, jaiswal was dismissed i really like the approach of surya kumar yadav and kishan where at least until about the 8th 9th over they didn't do anything too adventurous the runs were coming but it was not like you know we need to get to a strike rate of 150 each and maybe already the asking rate we have to match they did it beautifully because around the 10th over onwards you saw the switch in gears and the switch in gears was very decisive even uh, ishan kishan you thought when he started hitting all those sixes was the result ever in doubt for you even though the asking rate was 12 and over no i i always believed india would have won even if kishan got out early or if surya kumar got out early because we had the batting depth to follow we had the luck warm and coaching and rinku is someone not a lot of people knew 3 years back but he's got a brilliant brilliant record and he's got a very good head on him mm. he knows how to play and he knows when to play what shots the maturity he's shown over just a season of the ipl not many ipl players come into their first season and show that sort of maturity in game the sort of game awareness he has and execute as well as rinku has Indeed, and apparently, if you give him the last over, that's all he needs. I mean, he'll always hit a boundary and make sure. It went a bit more tight because there were a couple of runouts that were uh, not required between Ravi Bishnoi and Arshdeep Singh. But then the idea was always to get Rinku on strike. 
so in the end i expect the game became a lot more interesting than it should have a little bit of credit to sean abbott as well who kept uh, australia in the game jason berendorf bowled beautifully but he bowled out very early they tried out somebody like uh, matthew short but then they knew he was going to be targeted even though he took a wicket he was going to be targeted it was clear if he bowled another over they would keep going after him but then what did you make of the other two replacements in nathan ellis and tanvir sanga Tanvir Sangha is young. I mean, he's definitely got all the potential to replace Adam Zampa at some stage whenever Zampa does retire. So he did he did well to start off with, and he unfortunately came up against Ishan Kishan, already a left-hander who loves hitting through the arc that Tanvir has to bowl in. And as far as Nathan Ellis is concerned, uh, there's a lot of talk about Nathan Ellis being the best death bowler in the country in Australia, but Today he was optimal. I hope Ellis does better because he's proven himself from time to time, and he's a sort of a slower ball specialist. He's got multiple variations, multiple change-ups, and having been named the Hobart Hurricanes captain recently, mm. I think he's definitely going to do better even in internationals. He started off his career brilliantly in T20 internationals. Picked up a hat trick on debut, if I remember right. Right. When you when you look at it that way, it's it's not a bad. Uh... it's not a bad stat that he can sometimes also go for runs because he has the pace the problem we discussed with somebody like siraj or prasith krishna who have more pace but if they are not careful they'll end up conceding a lot more runs so is it a similar thing for him but he's also very young right yeah absolutely it's a similar thing for nathan ellis uh, the likes of siraj like uh, you mentioned prasith ellis his bowler skill of the pitch they don't hold into the pitch they just skill of it unlike jason dhiran of who gets the ball to hold a bit and on a wicket as fla- as fast as this when a bowler skids off the pitch it's much easier to read and hit him away right i mean when i meant young young from international cricket perspective age wise you know he's older look that's one thing but also it brings sharply back into focus the bowling of the likes of hazelwood and cummins right stark is an out and out fast bowler that's how he'll remain but these two who can also bowl fast i mean hazelwood probably a little slower than cummins but if you look at it the difference hazelwood brings when the australia won the t20 world cup i remember 2021 he was i think he took like three wickets for like 15 or 16 runs in the final when everybody else went for runs his control and that metronomic accuracy that he brings irrespective of the format you can see the amount of difference that guy can make is it just the height or is it the combination of height and his accuracy it's certainly a combination of his height and his accuracy if if hazelwood wasn't as tall his accuracy wouldn't be as helpful because of the height he is the line the length he bowls it's almost a length where the batsman questions whether he should be forward or backward mm. he should play it off the front foot or the back foot it's there's massive role his height has to play and metronomic accuracy has always helped bowlers across all formats it's definitely to do with his height there's a massive impact and you know Hazelwood also because of his height always has a surprise bouncer up his sleeve if he ever has to turn to one. Absolutely, I mean it's mostly that what you said the back of length, where it's raising into you rather than you know it's neither short enough that you go on the back foot or you can come to the front foot. So we've seen him do it over the years. So for me, he'll always re- remain a marvel sort of a player simply because uh, of the accuracy that he's able to. Probably if you tie his eyes. and ask him to bowl he'll probably hit a good length outside of stump for a right hander <laughs> i don't know what sort of practice you need to do to achieve that but that's quite something isn't it 
Yeah, absolutely good dude. And there's a, he was referred to as the next Glenn McGrath for a while out in Australia, and that's exactly the reasons why. Absolutely. Now, do you see this series becoming any more interesting in terms of results, or do you see it always being a high-scoring uh, thriller every game? I expect high-scoring thrillers every game because it's a T20. Uh, nobody does slow, low-scoring T20s anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, for me, right, a good cricket game will always be when there is a decent contest between bat and ball. Somebody is expected to stand up and play a tough innings. And usually a tough innings means absorbing pressure and taking a lot of balls out sometimes. But fine. I mean, in a T20, you cannot always have a 110 place, 109 or 108. It will not be as attractive as probably a 208 place, 210. But for a purist, you know, you still hope, you know, it can be slightly different. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The middling totals of maybe 250 in ODIs, 300 in tests, and I suppose something around 150 or 140 in T20s. They're almost the best to watch because, you know, if a batsman applies himself, there's a, there's something in the pitch for a batter to get away. But if a bowler applies himself, the bowler also get help, gets help. I mean, there's, there exactly. has to be a perfect balance of both. Otherwise, what happens is, as we saw with T20s, uh, sorry, I mean, the ODIs, the relevance of ODIs was questioned for a long while. And we saw how engaging and how viewable the middling ODIs were, the ones where things had to chase around 250 or 230, whether it be the South Africa versus Australia semi-final or the Pakistan versus South Africa chase. Look, uh, from purely from a... Yeah, purist perspective, you want that balance maintained and going forward. But then it's more like, you know, if you were to compare cricket to basketball, it, today a good basketball game is one which is always high scoring, right? So yeah. a lot of dribbling is not really effective. Unless you're a real purist, you can't appreciate how well the defense was mounted and so on. So that way, if you were to look, maybe uh, cricket is also heading that way where one skills, um, one skill will grow much uh, much uh, higher than the other, but the other will always remain relevant because even even winning by one run is you know winning winning the game. It doesn't matter whether you win by one run or hundred runs. So that's always going to be relevant. If you were to now move on from the T20s, we were to take a quick look at the uh, qualifiers, the Africa qualifiers that are currently underway. So I think you've been following it keenly. So what are your impressions so far of the Africa T20 qualifiers? Uh, I'd say instead of Zimbabwe and Namibia as a team to look out for, they've been absolutely brilliant from the likes of Gerhard Erasmus, Nicholas Darwin, JJ Smith, Jan Freilink. They've done incredibly well and they've, they've beat Zimbabwe by a considerable margin. They won with almost six over to spare, I believe, and seven wickets in hand. No, I saw that at least that five-match series, right, that Zimbabwe lost 3-2. It was very closely contested but then you're right there is a new team in the picture now uganda do you give them any chance i do give uganda a chance against zimbabwe it's unfortunate juma miyagi is ruled out for uganda because he is very rapid and he was a key player in the bowling attack mm. and what about kenya the erstwhile superpower uh, in associate african cricket Kenya seem to be doing well. They've started off well. They've won close games. They'll have to be better. They did win, but they weren't fully convincing wins. And if they do work on the game a bit better, especially in the fielding aspect, the Kenyans haven't fielded as well as some of the other teams have. But if Kenya can manage an upset against Zimbabwe or against Uganda, there's a chance the two teams that qualify maybe one of 
Zimbabwe, one of Uganda, or one of Kenya alongside Namibia. So you give Namibia the top spot. So the other spot is the one that's up for grabs, you say. Yeah, absolutely. Namibia, they've faced the hardest opposition there is. And if Namibia are ought to miss out now, it will take nothing short of a miracle for some of the other sides. Interesting. All right, let's see if that's going to pan out. Now, uh, if you were to move on from on-field cricket news to something off-field. So, first of all, Imad Vasim has retired from international cricket. He's played 121 internationals for Pakistan. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I think Imad Vasim was a hard done, was a bit hard done by all the recent past. Uh, mm. it's, it, it's debatable whether Mohammad Nawaz was the better player or if Imad Vasim was the better player. But going right. by just numbers alone and what I've seen of both of them across competitions or even in the 2019 World Cup, Imad Vasim has always been a better player. And I feel like well, of course, it's the Pakistan cricket boards. There's some sort of... so There's something always happening over there. It's Usually, it's comedic in nature for a neutral viewer. Not so comedic for Pakistani, I imagine. But something of that sort has led to his retirement. That's about it. Did he see that maybe with the new, new setup, so there's a new coach, there are new captains for Pakistan, right? So did he see maybe with this sort of a setup, he doesn't stand a chance? So one thing we have read here and there is that there is also an issue with his attitude, maybe that he's not. Mohammad Nawaz is more of a team man. Mohammad Nawaz is um, more of, you know, he'll do what the team requires ahead of what he may think is the right thing. But maybe Imad Vasim is not so much of a team man. Is this something that's potentially um, led to being him kept out? Yeah, that, that's certainly an aspect. I mean, we hear about it all the time how captains love to have selfless players. Someone like a Neil Wagner who will do anything for his team, whatever you ask him. So his attitude might certainly be a reason why he wasn't picked and why he was told he wouldn't be picked anymore, which led to his ultimate retirement. So because if you just look at his stats, with the bat, he's done decently uh, in ODIs. In T20Is, a little bit of a letdown because what we don't realize is how good a batsman he's always been, actually. I mean... I don't know if I, it's a good idea to compare between Wasim and uh, Nawaz, but I would think between them, probably Imad Wasim is the better batter. But I think maybe when it comes to bowling consistency, maybe Nawaz pips him there? Yeah, Nawaz certainly pips him as a spinner. It's a bit of a confusing aspect because Mohammad Nawaz is a classical left-arm off-spinner, while Imad Wasim is more of a new ball bowler with his left-arm off-spin. He isn't someone who spins the ball a lot. He gets mm. the new ball and he moves it about just a wee bit with the swing in the new in the power play. And I think that did work against him with Shaheen Afridi and Naseem Shah, Hassan Ali already apart to bowl in the power place. And as far as batting is concerned, Imad Basin was brilliant for Pakistan, especially in ODIs, when mm. he was consistently finishing off games. And while Pakistan still struggled to find a consistent enough finisher, Imad Wasim did average over 40 and struck at around 110, I believe. His T20 right. stats, I remember, are a letdown. He hasn't averaged more than 20, I believe. No, that's right. So, when it comes to batting, I think his T20, he can, he can only average about 15. You would expect maybe he can do more there because he's got enough opportunities. But I do remember he won a couple of crucial games for Pakistan late in 2022. He was in the picture as much as 2023 mid, I think, around April, May. He was still in picture. But then... Since then, maybe because of his 
because of maybe let me put it the other way nawaz having a better skill set with the ball right because he's able to bowl in different parts of the innings what you said but also the rise of somebody like uh, iftikhar maybe that could have put paid to imas imad's chances no absolutely uh, iftikhar's rise was critical in imad's chances because before iftikhar imad was the only possible open uh, finisher they could look towards but with iftikhar there they have someone who can bat more than bowl and all having a batter whose main skill is being competent with the bat is always better as a finisher uh if you were to look back at it it does feel like a little bit of an unfulfilled career and in in our part of the world we know sometimes there are retirements and there are take backs and so on do you see somebody talking to imad and maybe get him to maybe reconsider his decision or do you think he'll just sail into the sunset i think he'll sail into the sunset because even if they get him to come back i don't see pakistan picking him again very very crucial point that you make so he's probably just seen the writing on the wall and decided to call time ahead of you know just being ignored for years and just then sort of uh, quietly fading away this probably is a better move but also he's much sought after in the t20a franchises yeah exactly uh, instead of being forced by the board to have to play in their domestic competitions and being governed by them having once now retired he can do whatever he wants to at his own free will maybe he turns up in the ilt20 with the desert vipers for all we know hmm. i mean the other thing the other question was certainly i know there are many pakistan analysts who back him also as a captain so when babar azam took over the team they said imad wasim should have been the captain of the limited overs teams right so there was a lot of backing saying why did you give it to babar limited overs team it should be given to imad wasim because he has leadership credentials as well and so on so maybe that could have also played a pla- um, some sort of a some sort of a role in him sort of feeling frustrated oh certainly it, it was fascinating to see the power struggles between imad and baba when they were together at the karachi kings because baba was back then the international captain across formats and he wasn't the captain for a psl team imad was Hmm. Hmm. Uh, there, there's a line that suggests Shadab and Imad are data-driven captains, while Babur isn't as much data-driven as he goes on gut feeling. And from what I've seen with the within the Pakistan camp, they certainly rely more on gut feeling than raw data which they get from an analyst. Well, yes. I mean, their format of cricket has always been that. they go with talent and sort of what feels right at that point in time then what you say is the modern approach but i think it's changing rapidly these days because they have uh, people like uh, mickey arthur in the setup or they had until recently who's very much also data driven isn't it yeah mickey arthur is pretty data driven and the mickey arthur was familiar with a lot of players over there having also coached them recently and mm-hmm. mickey does seek out opportunities and i also feel like as a final leaving gift uh, shan masood being declared pakistani test captain was because of miki artha i remember miki artha roped shan masood in at derbyshire and made him captain where he hit 1000 runs in the season right so i think miki artha played a role in shan masood getting the test captaincy for however long he does get it before the next board change happens or the next board <laughs> decides something else that's a very relevant point you make but i'm really hoping right he's a stopgap captain in as much that his career itself is coming to an end anyway naturally right so uh, somebody yeah. like abdullah shafiq i have a lot of time for i'm hoping somebody like him sort of steps up in the next two years becomes a major player in the test team right and is also probably chosen as a captain uh, i would like to see that happen if that's a possibility 
do you see any other possibility maybe once uh, shan basu decides to hang up his boots as a next pakistan captain will it be afridi i've always rated sadab khan as a captain correct but the unfortunate problem is he doesn't even play first class cricket anymore he is a competent batter and his skills have only improved as a batter there could have been a point where he could have been included as a batter who bowls at number 7 instead of having to bowl his way into the side he could have batted his way into the side but with him not playing first class cricket i don't see how he comes into the side and becomes captain there's certainly a point for shaheen afridi who's been named the t20 i captain but i fear for shaheen afridi being named t20 captain this young because we see how bowlers have to be rested and rotated especially with the amount of games they play now that's a good point uh, but you know t20 is probably yeah he'll get away with it they'll probably have somebody else in mind at least maybe every alternate series he'll miss a game or two maybe that's how it'll come but also he's won two um PSLs right with Lahore Kalandars. He's lifted Lahore Kalandars, changed their uh, fortune quite a lot. So that gives him a lot of, uh, let's say, uh, you know, money in the bank, as they say, with this particular uh, setup. But let's see how that goes. All right, the next important news that we came across is again not very nice. So Marlon Samuels, who had been, you know, convicted of breaching anti-corruption code, his sentencing or his, uh, yeah, his uh, this thing punishment has come through. It is. Six years of, you know, ban banning from all cricket. Does it uh, does it give you any surprises that such a such a tough sentence has been handed out to him? I am not surprised that it's been for six years because the ICC has always taken a strict measure in terms of the corrupt corrupting behavior, the sort of corruption that exists. But I do question how this wasn't found out earlier. I mean, a lot of T twenty. See, T20 leagues have been on the rise, whether it be T20, whether it be T10, and a lot of these don't particularly have all the stars, and they are breeding grounds for match corruption, for fixing. Especially considering how the players in these nations aren't very rich, and this T20 or T10 league is what brings spotlight to them. But then, when you are getting a spotlight, would you go ahead and also fix the result because? for you the result doesn't matter or for you it's the most important thing because you play for your pride and you don't want to you know compromise what the natural result might be i suppose it's up to the individual because some people do value cricket over anything and some people would rather take the money and have be set for their lives but this was a case with uae with shayman anwar who was mm-hmm. the best batter everyone right. rated him as the best batter and he was caught fixing because the reason was I mean, even though he was the best batter in the uae he would have never been as much compensated by the board as he did earn by fixing a game so i mean that's always a little bit of a disappointment to see that these things come up from time to time and uh, well it's not new that people have been betting on cricket there have been instances of people playing in teams betting against or for their own team and so on so that's a long discussion which i don't want to get into but for me what is more interesting is how do the powers that be try and stop this sort of a thing from happening is it going to be possible to stop it i don't think it's going to be possible to stop it with everyone trying to launch a t10 or t20 league of their own over the last few years the abu dhabi t10 which was just a single tournament in the uae it's expanded to the zim afro t10 and the us masters t10 and they're planning to launch in sri lanka as well 
So they're spreading their wings and there's a chance there's bookies everywhere and they will try and fix games. Now, that's the thing. Is there any way to... So sometimes you've also seen even the people who are actually the organizers of the teams themselves have been found guilty and have been banned, so to say, right? Because we've seen it in yeah. IPL already. So it's 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 endemic in the system, but then will the system correct itself is the question. And probably, I don't know if we both sitting here can uh, address it and fix it. But if you were to be the administrator, what would you do? I think if I was the administrator, I'd look at who the players interact with. At, at some stage, these players do have to meet these fixers because you can't just get, you can't fix a game over chat. You're offered valuable items, you're offered certain items, like was the case with Brendan Taylor, who was coerced, he was basically coerced into fixing the game after he was recorded, whatever he was doing. Correct. There's certainly a case to observe the players further, but I don't think you can go all the way to stop them as such. Because it would, you would have to stop them from living their individual lives wherever they are. That's the problem, isn't it? You have to eventually then rely on the individuals, whatever moral compass and so on they possess. Because you cannot govern every situation they may or they may not get into and then see how it may affect them. So it's such a tough thing to actually, such a tough thing because it's it's mostly a product of who you are as well as how you think of things. And what you think is right versus what you think is absolutely unacceptable. So this is always a very um, gray area and very tough for anyone to get a complete hold on. So these things will have to be sort of integrated into people and players from a very young age where you just think this is the wrong thing. You don't you don't indulge in it because it's wrong. It, there doesn't uh, have to be any other explanation for it because then once you know it is wrong, any other part of your life that tends to sort of intrude into this and you may think uh, somebody may use this as a potential you know, leverage for me to do things which I don't want to do. That's when you are able to probably fix it. But it's as you say, it's very tough. It's nearly impossible to govern every part of an individual's life or, any, or sort of take a understanding and have to make the, have to empower the individual to make the decision. That's what I would say. So yeah, okay. It's, it's a tough one. We concede that. But for a lesson that is to be learned, is he, this guy is sort of a known offender, if it were to be this brutally put. He once at point, some point in time in his career uh, was banned for a year, right? Yeah. Would you recommend a more serious sort of a serious sort of a code of conduct that says if you were to be once caught doing something like this, then you are not going to be a part of any other coaching setup because you have once been sort of found guilty whether you're a player or a coach or is that too harsh i would absolutely back if if you've been caught fixing fixing it's not just giving away or something it's fixing a game to influence the result you shouldn't be allowed anywhere in the sport at least at an international level hmm. we we did see mohammed Amir come back and of course he didn't make a mistake and he owns the mistake but Letting people know that they can make a mistake and come back for it, it's wrong. I mean, fixing a game, you break every, you break the game. There's a spirit of the game, which is you play for your nation or you play for your team and you try to win. The ultimate goal is to win. If you concede advantages because you want to earn money, that's just wrong. It does seem 
what you say should be the thought process but look there are different sorts of thought process out there where we know of international players who who very clearly said they are playing for themselves they are here because they need a team but it's all about the individual i mean they may not have ever said it with a you know they may have never declared it but their attitude and the way they carry themselves on the field sometimes gives you that impression right i need a team because it's about me i can't play cricket by myself so i need a team around me but i'm playing for myself you see unfortunately sometimes this sort of an outlook and this sort so it's again a very very tough thing but what you say could be a good idea you're right those were all the main cricketing topics i had for this episode very happy to have you on the podcast so i would like to first of all thank you for your time it's been a pleasure i was all mine i'd love to be a part of this again someday and it was quite fun chatting with someone who knows cricket as much as i do and delving into topics i've always adored hmm. would you like to plug your um, blog and any other cricketing uh, outlet that you have oh absolutely i mean if you're listening to this i hope you follow the cricket savant already if you're not please do follow it uh, i do post a bit of cricketing statistics and a post cricket i basically post cricketing statistics but they range from international cricket to sometimes domestic cricket and i do have a post in plan by the time you see this it's going to be about the shuffle sheet hopefully it's up and i do plan to cover more varieties of domestic cricket whether it be in south africa new zealand bangladesh or sri lanka just the whole world cricketing world as a whole not enough coverage is given to these sorts of weaker sides or domestic tournaments across the world or the associate nations on major cricketing outlets and i hope that changes at some point so if you are listening to this i hope you follow the cricket savant because i will keep updating you about it indeed we hope you know uh, you get uh, a lot of listeners uh, and uh, and i am really happy to see the approach you take into your work and uh, i hope you can grow and uh, you know continue to produce very effective articles like you are doing yeah thank you very much once again adnan and uh, we wish all our listeners a good day wherever they may be listening from we hope to have your company again in the upcoming episodes as well thank you and bye bye thank you it was my pleasure this is the armchair cricket podcast Podcast Network.